This is the New Song Church podcast. You're listening to a service from our church in Oklahoma City. Wherever you're at today, we hope this helps you to better know God and to practice the way of Jesus. Now here's the message. Well, happy Fourth of July weekend, New Song Church. How you doing today? Good, good to see you. Sarah, get your notebook ready here. Come on, get your little stuff all adjusted. Got these little tassels. We can't have those hanging out. There we go. Good to see you. Sarah's bringing the word this morning. And uh, yeah, so you know it's going to be good. Get your notes out. Get ready for that. Uh, But before she takes off with that, I want to make you guys aware of something. If you know how it goes here at New Song Church, uh, you know that the elders have established that the month of July, uh, we take off. So starting on Monday, we're going to be disconnecting. We're going to be going on a a sabbatical here where we're we're not going to be around for the next four weeks. Uh, It's a time for us to kind of pull away. We value resting here at New Song Church. We value that for our leaders, for our team, for you. We believe that you rest well and then you go into your work from a rested place. And so uh, it's a month for us where we can kind of disconnect from all things New Song Church, not be thinking about the next meeting, the next message, the next ministry to launch, the next whatever it is, so that we could just kind of focus on God, on our marriage, on our kids, and just kind of look at them without having the next thing on our mind. So uh, we're excited about this. And if you've been around New Song Church, you probably noticed that it's it comes at like August, September. There's a lot of new stuff that starts happening at New Song because God, after we come out of this season, man, God always blesses us with all sorts of new vision and new ideas and all sorts of stuff for the, for the, for the future. So get ready in August. It's, we're going to hit the ground running in August and September. Uh, but I want you to do a couple things. One, even though we're not going to be around, you be around, okay? Yeah. We want you here. We've got four great weeks of, of messages lined up for you. Sarah's going to talk a little bit more about that in a second. Uh, so number one, be here. Don't, don't disconnect. And number two is would you pray for us during this season? Uh, just be entering in, praying, believe in God first. Would you pray for your pastors? Do you do that? I hope you do. Be praying for us that we're just going to have a great season, get replenished, and come back to you better than ever. Sound good? All right. Well, take it away. Awesome. Thank you. Um, Yeah, I want to just echo what he said, that it's going to be a great four weeks. In fact, four of my favorite people on the planet are going to be bringing the word. Uh, Pastor David Terry is going to be bringing the word. My mother-in-law, Pastor Trudy, is going to be bringing the word. And uh, Pastor Josh Romano and Pastor Tondurai. So it is going to be fire. You don't want to miss it. All right, get out your journals. Get ready to take some notes and turn uh, to Hebrews chapter 10. It's June 1940. The French are meeting with the Germans to discuss terms of surrender, and Britain is about to face a full threat against Hitler. Morale is low, and it has been said that in war, in war, morale counts as much as resources to survive and win. Morale is low as rumors of surrender and negotiation talks fill the air. But enter Winston Churchill in one of the best wartime speeches ever. Allow me to read you a snippet. Even though a large tract of Europe and many old and famous states have fallen or may fall into the grip of the Gestapo and all the odious apparatus of Nazi rule, we shall not flag nor fail. We shall go on to the end. We shall fight in France and on the seas and oceans. We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall defend our island, whatever the cost may be. We shall fight on beaches, landing grounds, in fields and streets and on the hills. We shall never surrender. 
the words of this bulldog of a man. They lifted off the pages of the newspapers and into the hearts of the British people and filled them with resolve and filled them with confidence and filled them with courage. They would not surrender after all. They would go on and they would gain important allies like the US of A. Yay, happy 4th of July. And they would win the war. Now, let's go back even further in time uh, to AD 65 to the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews was written to the Hebrews by a Hebrews or by a Hebrew and uh, telling them to stop acting like Hebrews and to stop or to start acting like new covenant people. So morale is low among the Hebrews. The second generation Jewish Christians, they're discovering that Christianity is uncomfortable and that it is unpopular. Christianity is the cause of fierce persecution at this time, both socially and physically. And these second generation Jewish Christians, they are, they're catching heat from both sides, from the Romans and from the Jews. And the heat that they were catching is really hot. So many of them um, begin to slip back into the old rites and the old rituals, the familiar comforts of Judaism in order to escape the mounting persecution. So they were either trying to live like a hybrid faith, mix a little bit of Judaism with a little bit of Christianity, or they were abandoning Christianity altogether. Now you have to understand that these people at some point had made a decision. They had believed in Jesus, that the cross of Jesus Christ, the once and for all sacrifice for sin, we're gonna follow Jesus, no turning back. But now that they're facing disappointment, and now that they're facing some persecution, they are very close to relapsing. They're very tempted to go back to what was easy, what was comfortable, what was familiar. They're very tempted to go back to the blood of bulls and goats. Morale was low as talks of surrender and negotiation filled the air, but enter the unknown writer of Hebrews, inspired by the Holy Spirit with another great wartime speech. Let's look at it in Hebrews 10, picking up in verse 35. It says, therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised for yet a little while and the coming one will come and will not delay, but my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, for by it, the people of old received their commendation by faith, dot, 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 by faith. The whole point of Hebrews 11, the whole point of the museum of faith is to remind those who are in danger of relapsing, those who are in danger of throwing down their shield of faith, of putting away their confidence and with it the reward that comes with it. It is to remind those to remind those who are in danger of relapsing, whose morale is low, that they are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed. We shall not flag. The Museum of Faith was written to remind these early Jewish Christians that we are not of those who will surrender what is most precious to us. No, we are of those who have faith and so we will 
fight. We have a great legacy, a faith-filled people that we can look at and remind us that we will not fail. By faith, by faith, we are of those who offer God the pleasing sacrifices of their lives like Abel. We are of those who by faith construct, construct arcs and save their family like Noah. We are of those who by faith obey like Abraham. We are of those who by faith conceive the impossible like Sarah. By faith, by faith, by faith. Hebrews 11 is not a random sidebar. These examples of faith were meant to lift the Hebrew people out of discouragement and to fill them with resolve and hope and courage to move them to action. We will follow Jesus no matter what. I don't know about you, but when I look at the darkness and the confusion and the poverty and the addiction and the division that's taking place in our country, it can be pretty discouraging. And while uh, we are not being physically persecuted for our faith, our faith is being persecuted. It is being mocked. It is being rejected. It is being spit on. It is being diluted by entire denominations who were originally founded to spread scriptural holiness throughout the land. But now they're spreading confusion and division and setting aside scriptural holiness. Now, I don't pay much attention to the news or to the weather or to a lot of things that I probably should pay attention to. We are those people who, when there's a tornado heading our way, we have to have our friends, Josh and Kristen Romano, are you guys paying attention? <laughs> no, we're not, thanks, we'll go jump in the shelter. Um, but I took my daughter the other day to get a pedicure and they had the local news playing in the nail salon and you couldn't hear it, but I could read the subtitles. And as I sat there, every headline that I happened to see felt like a gut punch. Like it was so disheartening. I could feel morale lowering. Anybody else ever feel that way when you watch the news or read the news? I think some of the most easily discouraged today are parents. Those who are on the front lines of raising young people in this nation that is growing more and more hostile towards Christian and towards holy scripture. Every headline that I happened to catch that day was about our young people about how COVID has affected them so greatly and how they're so behind in school and how will they ever catch up. It was about the loneliness, the anxiety, the depression that they are facing. Then the next headline is about how our officials are arguing over uh, whether or not we should be able to, to make it legal or, or legal to mess with a child's God-given gender. And then the next story is, is these faces of angry young people protesting protesting for the right to argue with their maker about how they were made. Isaiah 45, nine flashing before my eyes. And as a parent of a freshman and a seventh grader and a fourth grader, this is heartbreaking stuff to see. It's discouraging at times. The writer of Hebrews addressed discouraged parents in his wartime speech. He addressed those who were worried about their kids. He addressed those who may have been thinking, okay, I can handle this persecution, but I don't know if the kids can handle it. Like, we didn't have to go through this stuff. Like, I don't know. I don't want our kids to have to be physically or, or, or socially persecuted. Like, maybe we should just kind of blend in. Maybe we should just go back to the old ways. Like, let's just be Jewish Judaism people and or let's, just, let's just fall off the map. Let's just go live out in the desert and kind of like fall off the radar, right? Let, let, let's just fall off of 
the grid. This is, I don't want our kids to have to walk this hard, hard road. To all of those discouraged and fearful parents, the writer of Hebrews writes in Hebrews eleven twenty three, by faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. The Holy Spirit wanted those on the front lines of raising kids in that hostile environment to know that you are not of those who surrender what is most precious to you to the spirit of the age. You are not a parent who just goes with the flow of culture. You are like Moses's parents. By faith, they hid him for three months because they saw that he was special. They were not afraid to disobey the king's commands. This verse was a rhema word in my life, a rhema word, not just a written word like for my foundation. This was a rhema word. It was a quickened, it was a specific word from the Holy Spirit directly to my heart right when I needed it. And I have based my entire framework for parenting on this verse, truly. Like I wrote a book about it in 2018 called Fearless Parenting, Raising Godly Kids in an Ungodly World. And if you are here today and you are on the front lines of parenting, raising kids, or you know somebody who is, I wanna encourage you to check out the book. It's on Amazon. You can get a paperback, Audible, or uh, an e-reader, Kindle, whatever. Um, but, but I wanna share a little bit about where I was at in my parenting journey when this rhema word came into my life. Okay, it was 2014 when my firstborn was about to start kindergarten. And I was struggling, like hardcore struggling. I would just cry and cry. Okay, I had spent more time with him over the last six years of my life. Six, I kept him home as long as I could <laughs> over, over the last six years of my life um, than anybody else. Like I was a stay-at-home mom and we hung out all day, every day, but now I'm at this crossroads and I've got to send this kid to school or homeschool or something. Um, so I had these three options. I could homeschool, I could send him to Christian school, or I could send him to public school, and I didn't, not, I didn't like any of those options. I was like, no, no, I don't like any of these. But I knew I had to do something. So like Psalm 5 says, I begin to lay out the pieces of my life before God. Lay them out before God. God, is it, is it homeschool? Is it, is it public school? Is it Christian school? And I begin to wait, wait for the fire to fall. It wasn't homeschool. I, I, that was quick. I knew it wasn't homeschool. It wasn't Christian school. That was quick. So here I am. I'm left with public school. That's my decision. This is where we're going. We're going to enroll him in public school, but I still had no peace. I grew up in the public school system, kindergarten through 12th grade, a huge 6A public school in Tulsa, Tulsa Union. And um, I did okay. I survived. I made it, right? So how bad could it be? But I, I also found myself thinking, man, it's a lot different now in 2014 than it was in 1990 when I started kindergarten. So I didn't have peace, um, but uh, I, I, I did things to try to distract myself. And like, maybe if we just go back to school shopping, then I'll like get excited and it'll be fun. Back to school shopping's always great. We should get a cute backpack and a lunchbox, Darth Vader from Pottery Barn Kids, monogram his little name on it. That'll make me feel better. But when I wasn't busy, and when I wasn't trying to distract myself, these waves of fear would hit me. And I was scared. I was scared of what he was gonna be exposed to. I was scared of the statistics that tell the story of the world that we live in. I couldn't stop thinking about how, how much has changed over the last 25 years, how the morality of our country had been just steadily, rapidly declining. 
Now, a few weeks before that dreaded first day of school, God gave me this rhema word that I needed. Hebrews eleven twenty three. by faith. Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because he saw, or they saw, that he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. The Holy Spirit, in this season of my life, he introduced me to Jochebed, the mother of Moses, and her story, her story, as I engrossed myself in it, her story helped deliver me from a spirit of fear so that by faith, I could release the three arrows that God has given to us into the world to fulfill the purposes and plans that God has for their lives. By faith, not in fear. He used her story to help me to write and to prophesy and to, and to come up with a vision for the next 18 years of my life. By faith, Sarah hid God's word in her kid's heart because she saw that they were precious in his sight and she was not afraid. She was not afraid of the public school system. She wasn't afraid of the God mocking agendas. She wasn't afraid of the spirit of the age because she knew that greater is he who is in her than he that is in the world. Now, before we go further, please hear me. This is not a message about where I think you should send your kids to school, okay? This isn't about choosing between public school or Christian school or homeschool, so please don't e email me, okay? There are so many pros and there are so many cons to every type of education. There is no perfect education. I don't care where you sit send your kids to school. This is way more than that. This is bigger than where your kids go to school. This is about your faith. It's about your faith touching every aspect of your lives, including the way that you raise your children in this world that is groaning for the second coming of Christ Jesus. Okay, so to really grasp the weight of Jacobed's story, we have to head over to Exodus 2. So go there, turn there with me, and let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this day. I'm so thankful, God, that we can come and we can worship together in our country. I'm thankful that we can worship freely, that we can worship you, that we can gather together and take communion and remember the cross. Thank you for the cross, God. We're so thankful. I pray for every person under the sound of my voice, God, that you would just begin to tenderize their heart, that you would, you would give them fertile soil, Lord for the parents in this room, for the future parents in the room, for the grandparents in this room, God. May you stir something up in them as the word goes forth. May it not return void, but may it accomplish the purpose for which it was sent. We love you and we praise you and we honor you in this place. You're welcome. Come Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Okay, so Exodus, it begins with the death. You know this, we just finished reading Genesis in our Being Transformed journal. It's the death of Joseph, the boy, the man with a coat of many colors that was sold into slavery by his brothers and ends up becoming the second most powerful man in all of Egypt. He is gone, he has passed away. The new Pharaoh does not remember this son of Jacob who saved Egypt from the famine. Joseph is long gone and so are all of the memories of him, but the Israelite presence is still there and it is stronger than Ever, and the new Pharaoh was afraid. My kids have this storybook uh, Bible that I love called the Biggest Story Bible Storybook, and this is how it tells this story. It says, after Joseph had died, the new Pharaoh looked at the Israelites in Egypt and said, boy, there sure are a lot of those people. Pharaoh was afraid, and the Israelites, that they would get big and strong and fight against the Egyptians. So he made God's people slaves. Life was very hard for the Israelites. They had to build cities and make bricks and do whatever their masters made them do. But 
the Israelites kept multiplying because that's what God told his people to do in the garden and because that's what God promised Abraham he would do for his people. Amen. This made Pharaoh and the Egyptians even more scared and even more cruel. They were so cruel that Pharaoh ordered the Israelite baby boys to be killed. Exodus 1.22, look at it on the screen. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, every son that is born to the Hebrews, you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let the daughters live. Now I know that we've heard this story, seen the movies, but this really happened. This is not a fairy tale. This really happened. And it may seem hard for us to believe and, and hard for us to really grasp how something so horrible could take place. But we have to understand that hatred of strangers was always a characteristic of the Egyptians. And that hatred would drive them to carry out and to obey the psychotic command of the Pharaoh. Now, it's estimated that the birth rate among the Hebrews would have been something like 100 males born a day. 100 baby boys born a day. Imagine that. 100 infant baby boys being thrown into the Nile River daily. And they weren't afraid of the corpses rotting, decaying, the smell of death filling up the cities because the, the Nile River was infested with crocodiles. And the crocodiles would consume these baby boys' bodies. This is where Exodus 2 begins. Joseph is dead. Freedom is dead. Evil is the norm. Sin is fully endorsed by the government. Talk about a horrible time to be raising Hebrew children. And Jochebed is right in the thick of it. She's right in the middle of it. She's pregnant with her third child when Pharaoh lays down this law and he sentences all future Hebrew boys to their death. She's raising her 10-year-old daughter named Miriam and she has a three-year-old son named Aaron. Now, I'm sure as Jochebed is carrying this baby, that every time she feels a flutter, that every time she feels a kick, that she is wishing and she is hoping and she is praying, God, let it be a girl. God, please let it be a girl. Please let it be a girl. There were no ultrasounds or 3D scans. She would have to wait to the delivery day to find out if the baby she was carrying was a boy or a girl. Now, usually when a woman gets to that 40-week mark, of their pregnancy, they are ready. They're willing to do anything, try anything to kickstart labor, but I imagine this wasn't the case for Jochebed. She must have never wanted her water to break, but nevertheless, the time came. Imagine the scene with me, Miriam going to get the midwife, Jochebed sucking on ice chips, contractions growing stronger and more frequent. Amram, the dad, is pacing the waiting room. Aaron is worried about his mama who seems to be in pain. Jochebed missing that anticipation and that joyful expectation that she had with her first two deliveries. The mood is serious. It's time to push, but she didn't want to because she knew that the next sentence that she heard could be a death sentence. So she clenches her teeth and she shuts her eyes and she gives one final push. And the midwife catches the beautiful baby in her arms and she whispers, it's a boy. It's a boy. I imagine that those gender-revealing words crushed Jochebed. How could they not? Like no happy tears, no exclamations of joy, no celebrating following the birth. 
Like the thought of this baby that she'd been in love with since the moment she found out she was pregnant being drowned and being eaten by crocodiles. Like how do you, how does a parent, how do you wrap your mind around something like that? Like this is a real mom with real emotions and with real feelings and with real love for this child. But this isn't how Jochebed's gender reveal day ended. She opened her tightly shut eyes and she took one look at her son and she decided that she would not let Pharaoh write his story. Look at this with me in Exodus 2.2. 2. It says, because she saw that he was a special baby, she quickly conceived a plan. She kept him hidden for three months. Now imagine for the first few weeks that this was relatively easy because babies, if they are fed well, diaper clean, tightly swaddled, they will sleep all day. And so it was probably pretty easy at the first. Maybe they cut out like a little hole in the wall, put a little hiding place where they could hide the baby. Or maybe like in the movie, The Quiet Place, like the dad crafts this soundproof box and they put the baby in the box. Um, But when the baby turned three months old and the baby starts cooing and the baby starts blowing bubbles and the baby starts pulling back that curtain that he is supposed to be hidden beneath, Jochebed knew that this was not a sustainable plan, that she could not keep him hidden forever. So look at the next verse. It says, when she could no longer hide him, she got a basket made of papyrus reeds and waterproofed it with tar and pitch. She put the baby in the basket and laid it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile River. Like this really happened. Again, this mama got a basket and she waterproofed it without any YouTube DIY tutorials. And then she put the basket in a crocodile infested Nile River. She must have been terrified, right? Wrong. Remember our text from the By Faith chapter. It says, By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw that he was no ordinary child. They were not afraid of the king's edict. You don't make it into the Hebrews 11 Museum of Faith. You don't get mentioned beside Noah and Abraham and Sarah and Joseph and Gideon and David and Samuel for sort of trusting in God. You do not help raise a son who's the most important figure in the Old Testament and one of the greatest leaders in all of human history with a run-of-the-mill kind of faith. This woman had a we-will-not-shrink-back kind of faith. Every decision that she made after the birth of her son was a faith-based decision. She saw him with eyes of faith. She hid him in faith. She crafted that basket in faith. She floated him in faith. She chose to ignore the Pharaoh's command in faith. She never acted out of fear. Did she feel afraid? Absolutely. But did she act afraid? No, she did not. She acted by faith. And you know the rest of the story. Pharaoh's daughter finds the baby in the basket. It's love at first sight. Of course, Miriam, the protective older sister, the the little miniature mama is right there watching. She's right place, right time. She sees this uh, Pharaoh's daughter lift the baby out of the basket. She says, do you want me to find a Hebrew to nurse the baby for you? And the, the, the Pharaoh's daughter says, yes, absolutely. And of course, it's Jochebed. Jochebed stepped out in faith and God followed in favor. She was paid to nurse her own child. We know now that our core belief systems are formed when we are children. Probably, possibly, they say, during the first six years of our lives, Jochebed would not waste this window. She wouldn't waste it. She would take advantage of every opportunity to plant seeds into her son's heart. 
When he was older and when he no longer needed to be nursed, she delivered him to his adoptive mother, the daughter of Pharaoh, who gave him the name Moses. Now, after studying this legacy that Jochebed left behind, I decided that I was gonna be the kind of parent that she was, that I was gonna be the kind of parent who saw God's purpose and, and, and the special in my kids like she did from a young age. I decided that I was gonna be the parent who was not afraid of the culture of the world. I would be the parent who does not allow fear to author my child's stories. I would be the kind of fear that, or the kind of parent that would take advantage of every opportunity to instill God's word into my children's heart. I would be the kind of parent that raises some of the greatest leaders in the body of Christ, the kind of mom whose children light their torches at my flame. And I hope that God is stirring that he is stirring up that same desire in you in here today, parents and future parents alike, that you're in here and you're like, this is the kind of parent I'm gonna be. This Johnny, this kind of dad I'm gonna be. Ryan, this is the kind of mom I'm gonna be. Addie and Bo, Abby, this is the kind of parent that I'm going to be. I'm gonna be a by faith parent. I'm not gonna shrink back and fear. I'm gonna, I'm gonna raise world changers and difference makers. I hope that God is stirring that up in your heart today. I know that we often hear parents, those of us on the front lines, I know that we often hear from the well-meaning, the well-meaning older generation, how sorry they feel for us that we are on the front lines of raising kids. And it's well-meaning, but you know, the comments of like, eh, I'm so glad I'm not having to raise kids in this day and age. But let me encourage you. I don't feel sorry for you. I don't feel sorry for me, and you shouldn't feel sorry for you on the front lines. Those of you don't feel sorry for yourself, here's why. Number one, God's grace is sufficient for you. His grace is sufficient. And number two, the darker the night, the brighter the stars. And the hotter the fire, the more refined the gold. Like a polished or a precious gem, it can't be polished without friction. Neither can a saint be perfected without trials. And yes, I believe there is more pressure on Gen Z and on Generation Alpha than there was on us millennials and Generation uh, Xers. There's more pressure on them than there was on us, but that time under tension is going to help this upcoming generation to be stronger in their faith, for their convictions to be steel, convictions of steel. I already see it. I already see it in um, so many of our New Song students who are contending for, an, uh, for a revival. They are contending for awakening and their generation Something that was not on my radar as a 15-year-old in my little uh, Bible belt cultural Christianity bubble, right? I wasn't thinking about those things when I was 15 years old. So parents on the front lines, don't feel sorry for you. You were chosen for such a time as this. I personally don't want my kids, I don't want my kids living in a tension-free zone. I don't want them floating around in a little cultural Christianity bubble. Do you know why the astronauts lose muscle mass and bone density while they're in space? It's because they're working in a weightless environment. So very little muscle contraction is needed 
to support their bodies to move around and without having to work against the force of gravity to support themselves, their bones and their muscles begin to weaken and deteriorate while they're in space. Yes, there's a lot of pressure on this generation, but that pressure is going to help strengthen those muscles of faith. It's gonna help strengthen their convictions that this is Jesus, his ways are perfect and I'm going to follow after him. So hear me, please don't be all woe is me. Woe is me because Disney is after my kids and because uh, Target is demonic and the school system is putting out all this bogus curriculum. Listen, I know it is frustrating and I know that it is evil, but, but flip the script. Why don't we flip the script? Why don't we look at this stuff as friction that will help our kids grow stronger and deeper in their faith in God and their love for him and their love for other people? Why don't you look at, at every, every frustrating moment, why don't you look at it as an opportunity for you to disciple your kids, for you to get out God's word and teach them how good he is, how loving he is, how perfect he is in all of his ways. Why don't you see every frustrating opportunity as a chance to gather your family together and to pray and to intercede instead of just griping about the Satanist at Target? Have you prayed for him? Have you prayed for him? Have you prayed that, that the scales would fall off of his eyes? That he would have an encounter like Saul on the road to Damascus? That Jesus would leave the 99 and go after this man's soul? Jesus came to seek and save the lost. And he is lost. And we got to pray for him. Are you just griping and moaning? Are you praying? Are, are you standing on the wall? Are you, are you stepping in and interceding? We got to stand in the gap. It, we, it can't just be this place of like, I'm going to stand, I'm going to protest, and I'm going to boycott. That's not going to do anything. We got to find our place in the wall. We got to stand and intercede for our country. We got to pray for our country. We got to say, Lord, we repent. We repent on behalf of our country. And would you come and would you pour out your spirit on us? Would you come and do it again one more time on the, on the young, on the old, on the men and the women, on the boys and the girls? Would you pour your spirit out, God, one more time, a great awakening yes. for all these people that are lost, all these people that are away from you, all these young people that are so confused and so lonely and so hopeless. Would you do it again, God? See this as an opportunity to let your kids see your heart break for what breaks God's heart, not just to, to gripe and to complain and to boycott. Don't just protest, but pray. We can gripe and we can moan and we can fret and woe, and me, woe is me and we can throw up our hands and say the world is going to hell in a handbasket or, or we can get to work like a Jochebed and we can craft a basket that delivers God's special possession, his kingdom purposes to the captives that Jesus came to set free. So I wanna give you three things that we've gotta keep in mind if we're gonna be by faith parents. Number one, by faith parents see the special. They see the special. It says that Jochebed saw that her child was no ordinary child. Now I don't believe that he looked different on the outside than any of the other babies born during that time, but she could see destiny within him by faith. Do you believe that your children are special? Not just to you, not just to you. I know that you, everyone thinks their kids are special. All, all of our kids are special to us, but do you believe that your kids are special to God? Yeah. That they're, they're actually not even yours. They're yeah. God's special possession, That's right. all of them. I know there's that one that you're like, I'm not sure about that one. Listen, <laughs> not mine, all mine are. I, I know, I know all of mine, but you know, all of them. 
Do you believe that about your kids, that your kids are special, that they're here for a reason, that God has a purpose for their lives? I'm here to remind you today that they are special. They are precious in his sight. God has a purpose for them and he has a purpose for you. Do you know what it is? Our aim is to fill the whole earth with God's presence. Not just this room on Sunday mornings, but the whole earth to image forth God in this world and to enjoy him while we do it, to fill the earth with reflections of his glory, to behold him and be transformed into his image. We are here to be icons of God's powerful presence. Think about icons on your desktop. They're just little icons, but you click on them and they open up to something far beyond that icon. You are an icon of God's powerful presence, pointing people to something far greater than you, a far greater reality, our presence ushering in the presence of the almighty God. You're called to be a sanctuary, a place where earth meets with heaven wherever you go, expanding Eden to the ends of the earth. That's why you're here. That's why your kids are here. Jochebed saw that the Pharaoh's command was in direct contradiction to God's plan. She wouldn't cooperate. God's people were here to fill the earth with his presence. They were not here to fill the bellies of crocodiles with image bearers and Eden expanders. She's not going to cooperate. The Psalms, the Psalms speak of children being arrows in the hand of a mighty warrior. I don't know much about arrows, but I do know that you've got to aim them, right? And too often, we as parents, we have the wrong target in mind when it comes to our arrows. We're aiming them towards the American dream. We're, we're aiming them towards the dreams that, that, that we didn't get to fulfill. Now we want them to fulfill those dreams. I didn't go to college, but you're, you're going to go to college. You're going to do it. God's, we're, we're, we're not aiming them towards God's destiny for them. And wherever you aim your kids, more than likely, that's where they're going to end up. So, so hear me. I'm here to remind you today that your kid's purpose is not to graduate high school, go to a college, get married, get a mortgage, start a family, be a decent human being, and hopefully leave a sizable inheritance behind to their children. That's not it. Now, don't misunderstand me. These things are great. You can pursue these things. But if they are the primary targets that you are aiming your kids at, then you have chosen the wrong bullseye. How do I know this? How do I know? All you got to do is search the scriptures. Like, read through the scriptures. And all of these things as parents that we're aiming our kids to, to that, towards, that we make, we make such a big deal of, you're not going to find any scriptures. In, 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 you're not going to find anything in the word of God that talks about the importance of those things. So we got to readjust our sights. We need to get focused on God's purpose for our children to fill the earth. And here's, here's where I think the disconnect happens. It's only to the level that you understand your purpose as God's special possession, that you can help your kids understand their purpose as God's special possession. So if if you parents, listen, or or if you're not a parent yet, you need to spend some time. I want to understand my my purpose in this world, God. I want to understand what is she talking about? Fill the earth with God's presence. I didn't know that that was my purpose. Listen, you need to sink your teeth into this stuff so that you can help your kids sink their teeth into this stuff. You got to understand your purpose. Okay, so so here's some scriptures that I'm going to give you that that we need to be unpacking. like just us, and we need to be unpacking with our children. And this, when I say unpacking, I'm talking about like Deuteronomy 6, 
verses seven through nine style unpacking. It goes like this. Impress them on your children. Talk about them. Talk about them when? When you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Like, Pastor Sarah, that sounds like a lot of work. It is a lot of work. I'm just going to be super straightforward with you. Parenting's a lot of work. If you're going to raise godly kids in an, an ungodly world, yes. it takes a lot of work. Yes. But it's so good. It's so worth it. You got to learn. You got to study. I don't know. How am I supposed to talk about this stuff? I don't know. How, I don't understand it. You got to understand it. Yeah. You got to get in the Word. You got to turn off the TV. You got to put off your phone. You got to stay up at night. You got to study the Scriptures. You got to seek first His kingdom. We got to tie them as symbols on our hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. We got to impress this stuff on our kids. What are you impressing on your kids? Are you impressing on them? Education is everything. Are you impressing on them? College is everything. Are you impressing on them? You got to get that scholarship. You got to play that sport. You got to make that sports team. Money is everything. Comfort is everything. Owning your own home is everything. Being debt free is everything. Or are you impressing on them? Jesus is everything. Jesus is everything. So pursue him with everything and chase after him with everything and seek him with everything and love him with everything. Seek first his kingdom. This is what we got to impress on our kids. And here's three verses that you can begin to unpack in your hearts and with your kids that will help, help them understand this. Matthew 22, 30 through 40. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. First Peter 2, 9. It's about being a chosen people, a royal priesthood. We got to understand what that means. I want to encourage you this summer, just dive into studying the royal priesthood. Bible Project has some great videos about it. Matthew 5, 13 in the Sermon on the Mount talks about being the salt of the earth and the light of the world and a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. We got to impress on our kids that you are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world, and you are called to love God and to love your neighbor. In a world where identity is under attack like never before, as parents, we must not shrink back. We have to see by faith. We have to see the special in our children, God's special possession. We must by faith teach them who they are in Christ and who Christ is in them. We must by faith aim them towards God's dream for them. We must by faith teach them to fill the earth with God's image, to fill the earth with God's presence. We must by faith invest copious amounts of time and energy and attention into training our children in the way of the royal priesthood. Number two, by faith, parents, craft the basket. Craft the basket. Exodus 2, 3 says, when she could no longer hide him, she got a basket, made of papyrus reeds and waterproofed it with tar and pitch, put the baby in the basket, laid it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile River. Notice Jacobet didn't throw her little three-month-old baby in the river and hope that he would just pick up doggy paddling and that he would just paddle right up to the shores of God's providence. She didn't do that. She also didn't throw him on the back of a crocodile and like slap that thing and was like, giddy up, and hope that the crocodile just got him where he needed to be. She also just didn't take the first basket, like this will do, put the baby in the basket. And no, she got a basket and then she took the time to waterproof it. She covered it and she sealed that basket like a little miniature ark. This was so comforting to me as I prepared to send my uh, my, my firstborn off to kindergarten. And it's comforting to me as I prepare to send that same firstborn off to his first year of high school in a few weeks. Before I launched him into, into kindergarten, the Lord showed me, you're not just throwing this kid to the wolves. You're not just throwing him to the crocodiles. You have been, over the last six years of his life, you have been waterproofing 
his heart. You've been waterproofing his mind. The last six years of his life, you've been teaching him everything that you know about Jesus. You've been filling his heart and mind with the word of God. You've been putting scripture in his mouth and in his heart. All the praise parties that you've had, all the quiet times that you've had, all the prayers that you've prayed over him since before he was born, since before he was conceived. The prayers that you prayed before you were pregnant, while you were pregnant, while you were, while you were in that yellow rocking chair in the middle of the night and on Brookside, all the prayers that you've prayed over him. I wasn't just throwing him to the wolves. The Holy Spirit had been helping me waterproof this basket for him. And I must continually tend to that basket and to the basket of my two daughters. We apply the truth of God's word. We apply the truth of God's word to our kids' lives. We wait for it to dry. We let it settle. And then what do we do? We apply another layer of the truth of God's word. We keep doing that. We apply and repeat. We apply and repeat the truth of God's word. We apply prayer over their lives. We pray for them. We pray with them. We apply prayer. We wait. We watch. We let it settle. We, we pray again. We keep applying prayer. The basket is going to get beat up. And the enemy is going to try to poke holes in that basket. And the enemy is going to try to pull that basket under the water. But by faith, by faith, we keep applying truth and we keep praying. We keep standing. And then we surrender. Not to the spirit of the age, but we surrender to a holy God who loves our kids even more than we do. I know that parenting can feel exhausting, that it can feel monotonous, that it can feel fruitless at times. But take heart, parents. Like God sees the labor. He sees the labor. He sees the tears. He sees the seeds that you are sowing. Keep it up. Keep it up. The harvest is coming. It's coming. Keep applying the tar. Keep applying the truth. Keep applying the prayer. Keep applying the pitch. Keep applying. Psalm 126, five through six. It says, those who plant in tears, That's what parenting, a lot of parenting is. It's planting in tears. You're tired, you're exhausted, you're frustrated. But you keep planting in tears. Those who plant in tears will harvest with shouts of joy. They weep as they go and as they plant their seed, but they sing as they return with the harvest. If you're in here today, the Lord gave me this word right over there in the the dark, so we were having pre-service prayer last night. So there's going to be people that think, oh no, I haven't been waterproofing, and I've blown it. Like my kid's 10, and I haven't been applying the truth, and I thought they were doing that back there in kids' ministry, and they are, but you're the primary disciple, discipler of your children. I haven't been doing this, or I wasn't living for the Lord when my kids were younger, or I feel like I've just, I'm not, I haven't been doing this the right way, like I've just been throwing them to the wolves or whatever. And he gave me this. He said, um, Joel 2.25, I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten. I will restore to you the years, the years where maybe you weren't all flame for the Lord. And this wasn't a priority in your life. And you wish you could go back in time. There's sometimes like as a church planter, I'm like, oh, I wish I could go back to year one and two and I would do this different and I would preach this different. But the Lord says, I'll restore the years that the swarming locust has eaten. Whether you were distracted, whether you were too caught up in your job, whether you just didn't have, like you'd never heard a teaching like this before and you didn't know, whatever it, whatever the case may be, He will restore the years that the locust has eaten, but start today. Like, don't be like, oh, I haven't done this, so I guess it's just like 
Ah, no, start today. You can start doing this right now today. So start today. And then number three, by faith, parents form followers. They form followers. Jake, uh, Jochebed came to terms with the fact that she couldn't uh, hide her son from ev- forever. She couldn't hide her son forever. She knew that sheltering him from the evil culture, that that was not sustainable. As he grew, she wasn't going to be able to fit him in that little, that little soundproof box forever. Okay, sadly, there's a lot of Christian parents that they believe that just sheltering their kids from everything, that that's the key to raising great kids. Um, if we can just keep them hidden from the world until they move out someday, they'll be okay. Let's create a little Eden in our home and let's just hope that the world does not impede. Number one, that's not biblical. It says we're to be cities on a hill that can't be hidden. We're to fill the earth with God's image, not to hide God's image away in our three-bedroom, two-and-a-half-bath, 2,000-square-foot house in Edmond. We don't hide it there. We don't hide it there. We're to fill the earth with God's image. Number two, it's not effective. Parenting or, or pretending that sin doesn't exist and there isn't a hurting and a broken and a lost and confused world out there that is desperate for Jesus and headed for destruction, pretending it's not out there isn't going to make your kids love Jesus more. It may actually make them wonder why we even need Jesus. Things seem to be so great and perfect and safe and cozy. It may actually cause them to be dangerously curious about the world that you are hiding from them. Moses saw the hurting Hebrew people and what he saw fanned into flame, the spark that Jochebed had deposited into his heart. If our goal as parents is to isolate our kids from the darkness, we will fail them. If that's your goal, just hide them away from the darkness. We can't fight darkness by hiding from it. We fight darkness with light. John 1.5 says, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. What is this light? It is a person. His name is Jesus. John 8, 12 says, I am the light of the world. And then Jesus makes this killer promise, actually not killer, a life-giving promise. <laughs> Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness but we'll have the light of life. Instead of asking like, how can we shelter our kids from darkness? We need to be asking, how can I help my kids come to love and trust the living Jesus so that they will follow him all of their days? Then they will not walk in darkness. Notice it doesn't say those who are homeschooled will not walk in darkness. It doesn't say those who go to Christian school are not gonna walk in darkness. It doesn't say those who show up to New Song Church three weekends a month are not gonna walk in darkness. It doesn't say those who don't get a cell phone until they're in eighth grade or don't get access to social media until they're in ninth grade will not walk in darkness. No, it says those who follow Jesus Jesus will not walk in darkness. Our goal as parents should be to follow Jesus so closely that the dust of our rabbi is all over us and that our kids are following us who are following Jesus. You guys remember the scene in Aladdin where the genie comes out of the lamp and he explains the terms and conditions of the wishes that he is able to grant. He informs Aladdin that he can't kill anyone He can't make people fall in love, and he can't bring anyone back from the dead. Okay, just like the genie, you and I cannot make anyone fall in love. 
We cannot force our kids to love God with all their heart, with all their soul, with all, with all of their mind. Entering into a loving relationship with God has to be a personal decision that they make based on their own convictions. But we can teach them everything we know about Jesus. And we can share our experiences of him with them. We can tell the stories to our kids like we sang about this morning. We can model the heart of our father in such a way that a life surrendered to Jesus is what they desire most. I want my kids to see us following Jesus and to say that. That is where it's at. Like mom and dad faced a lot of obstacles and mom and dad went through some really heartbreaking losses and mom and dad made a lot of mistakes, but they followed Jesus and they were 100% committed to being lifelong apprentices of Jesus, to practicing the way and he's been so faithful and he's been so good and life hasn't been perfect and their heart has failed and their flesh has failed, but he's never failed my mom and dad. I wanna follow Jesus too. As parents, we are privileged to have the ability to shape our children's convictions. Although the genie could not make Jasmine fall in love with Aladdin, he did help her to take notice of him. So what are you doing to help your children take notice of Jesus? In your home, is he the reason for every celebration? Is Jesus the answer to every problem? Is he high and lifted up around your dinner table? Is he the center of your focus? Is his presence tangible in your home? Is his love on display? Do your kids see you practicing the way of Jesus? Are you praying with your kids? Are you praying for your kids? Are you worshiping with your kids? Are you finding ways to incorporate Jesus into the habits of your household? Do you make much of the word of God? Do, you see, do your kids see grace and forgiveness and repentance modeled in your home? The more real and approachable and loving that we make the throne of God, the more time our kids will want to spend there and the more time they spend at the feet of Jesus, the more they'll fall in love with him and the more assured of their purpose in this world they will be. If you would stand your feet. I don't want to speak directly to those of you who are on the front lines of raising kids in this hostile environment. If that's you today, if you've got kids ages like zero to 20 something, would you raise your hand? And if you're near one of these people, would, would you just, just put hands on their shoulders? Let's just put hands on them. Parents, you are not of those who shrink back. You are not of those who will surrender to the spirit of the age, what is most precious to you. And to those of you who are in a season of frustration, a season of feeling hopeless, a season where you're not seeing a lot of fruit, hear the word of the Lord. Don't throw away your confidence. Don't throw away your shield of faith. Keep praying. Keep contending. Keep loving. Keep pursuing the heart of your children. You may need to go to them and repent and say, I am sorry. I need to apologize to you. Let them see you broken. Keep loving them. Keep chasing after them. And you keep following Jesus. You follow Jesus. Know that God's grace, parents, that God's grace is so much greater, deeper, wider than your greatest mistakes as a parent. The biggest mistakes you've made in parenting, God's grace is so much bigger. So resolve in your heart.
Resolve in your heart. How my kids turn out does not affect how much God loves me. How my kids turn out doesn't affect the degree that God loves me. But because I love him, because I love him, I will build an altar in my house and we will worship the Lord. I will contend. I will stand. I will not shrink back in fear. I will be a by faith parent who sees my kids as God's special possession, who crafts a basket for them to, to help them fulfill the destiny that God has for their life. For their life. And I will, by faith, partner with the Holy Spirit to form followers. I pray, God, that every person in this room, every parent in this room, that you would clothe them with power from on high. We can't do this in our own wisdom, our own intellect, our own strength, our own giftings, God. We're not enough. We're not strong enough. We're not smart enough. But the Holy Spirit is our helper. Clothe every person in this room. Pour your spirit out on them. Clothe them with power from on high so that they may be the parents that you have called them to be. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to invite our altar ministry team to come forward. If you're here today and you have a prayer need of any kind, maybe you have a child away from the Lord, maybe you are having trouble conceiving and you want to be a by-faith parent, we want to pray for healing over you. Uh, Maybe uh, you're just a tired parent, like you're toddlers and or teenagers whatever you're just tired and you want somebody to lay hands on you and just pray that God would renew in you a steadfast spirit whatever that looks like if it has to do with the message if it doesn't have to do with the message if you are just in need of prayer you want somebody to partner with you in prayer then we want to invite you to come and receive it if you don't need prayer just go into this time close out this moment don't be in a hurry Just allow the Lord to continue to stir what he has started to stir. Let him fan into flame what he has begun in your heart today. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would draw every person in need of prayer to the altars. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening. For more information on our church or for more resources to help you grow in your faith, Go to newsongpeople.com or download our app by searching for New Song Church OKC in the App Store.